1: Can
0: you see it? Yeah? Did you know
1: this? Yeah? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments no.
2: Like I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks.
1: Robot, hold my Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and out Wednesday. Wow, really? we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals way cutting way in, shoots. Way
2: Well, Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season capital H, capital S, all one word at ZephyrEpic.com to get some of those Upper Deck Series 2 Niels Hoglander Young Guns cards. Chris and I are both very excited for that. My name is David Guadrelli. I am joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber, and a very special co-host for this week, Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Harmon, how's it going, man?
0: it's uh it's going definitely going a lot better than the, than the canucks i'll say that um <laughs> beautiful bright sunny day vancouver needs it you know at, at this point this fan base needed a nice bright sunny day to to kick off um you know a, a nice weekend to hopefully uh you know three-day break so at least you get you know that kind of mental break as well so uh, i'm doing well guys how about you We're yeah i'm going good people, yeah
1: doing good over here it's a nice three-day break what first one of the canucks season right now so it's kind of nice to relax a little bit but i uh, got some comments games to watch so that's gonna be fun this weekend uh we just heard the news about jack rathbone and jet Wu playing together so that's great but i want to take it back to zephyr a little bit because they're doing a-, a giveaway right now on their instagram and uh because they're celebrating 25 years of pokemon and i just noticed that pokemon is older than both of you guys uh but Harm, <laughs> what what is did you grow up playing pokemon cards at all or like playing the games or anything
0: you know, so my friends in elementary school were Pokemon guys. I was actually a Yu-Gi-Oh
1: kid. Um, nice. I,
0: collect, I watched the show and I collected a bunch of cards. I still probably have them. Uh, I know Pokemon was definitely the mainstream thing, though. So I, uh, I missed out on that, but I still love my Yu-Gi-Oh,
1: so. That's good. I always thought that like the battling in Yu-Gi-Oh was so much better because it was like a lot simpler than Hawk than yeah. uh, Pokemon was, right? There was like damage counters and all that stuff. Yu-Gi-Oh was straight up like the, the life points. We used to play a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh back in the day. That's a good I wish that one caught on like the Pokemon trend has been crazy lately. We see like, you know, YouTubers opening up cards and stuff like $300,000 for boxes of cards. And yeah, I wish Yu-Gi-Oh caught on a little bit more because I was a big fan of actually playing the game.
0: Yeah, and, and the other thing too was I remember as a kid... Like, I think how I got into Yu-Gi-Oh! over Pokemon was I would go with my parents to the, the BMO location uh, near my house. And the branch manager there just gave me Yu-Gi-Oh! cards every time. <laughs> and, like, as soon as I collected, like, a few decent cards, I was like, okay, now I'm hooked. And so then every time we'd go to the grocery store or wherever I'd start we'd start buying them on my own. Um, it, it was a ton of fun. We, we dueled in elementary school during, like, recess breaks and stuff. Uh, a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely. And the show, I think, was still the best. Like, the storyline on the show, yes. I remember waking up Saturdays, like, every morning, it was always on back-to-back episodes, if I can remember correctly. Like, it was always back-to-back episodes, so you got two of the continuation of the story every Saturday, which was great. But, Quads, you, you don't seem like a Yu-Gi-Oh! guy, I can tell no, from the look on your face. It was it was
2: Pokemon for me, and then, I don't know if you guys ever played, this is more Harmon Harmonized uh generation, but Bakugan was a thing at my school like Bakugan battle brawlers Mm -hmm. those were the ones that came they were like a yes yeah I remember those yeah and you'd put the card down and the card was like magnetic and they had a magnet at the bottom and they would like pop open and yeah yeah, it it was cool man and we that was that was what we played for like two years I think and then it just died immediately but yeah that and Beyblades that was what I oh
0: I love I was just about to say that like I love Beyblades Mm -hmm. I got like a green one and it was just like Beyblades at the time were the coolest thing to me. So
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, those ones where you brought in like the metal like middle part. And did you guys ever have yes. those they had like sparks on the outside? Yeah. That was yeah. so wild, man. Like
0: and then yeah. you pull it and then just watching it spin. It was that was really cool, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, can you uh can you tell we don't want to talk about the Canucks very much right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should though, because this is the Canucks conversation. Before before that,
2: I was just gonna say we should bring one of those uh Beyblade Bowls or whatever and have a, mm-hmm. have a tournament inside the press box one night that'd, that'd yes we should i'm sure that might be a little frowned upon
1: but uh, that's what that's what's gonna have to happen all so- the 20 year olds just coming <laughs> in and playing being like yeah we'd be out of there pretty fast Jeez. okay but let's get into it here
2: guys so harman we'll start with you canucks have a three-day break they took the day off today we're recording this on friday They took the day off. We're assuming they're going to be back at practice tomorrow and Sunday. What do you think this three-day break will do for them to kind of reset? Like, yes, the season is almost gone. There's playoffs are a distant hope right now. But just for team morale and kind of, you know, bouncing back in some sort of way, how big do you think this three-day break is going to be for them, especially after such a busy start to the schedule?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important because it's not just – that the Canucks are losing games and they're not getting the results. It's how they're losing a lot of these contests, right? In the earlier going, it was they were getting blown out. And then more recently, I don't know what's more demoralizing, guys. The the games where you just have no shot and you get dominated the whole contest, or the ones where, like against Calgary and against Winnipeg, and most recently against Ed- Edmonton, where you build up a two or three goal lead and then just it's so demoralizing to see the other teams catch up and it's like one goal against and in and, and the house of cards just collapses so I think the way that this that the that you know the games have gone it snowballed against them and at a certain point like the Canucks are generally generally playing a lot better since I think that second or third Toronto game in terms of controlling play they're generating offensively but sometimes it doesn't matter how good your process is when you don't have the belief when you don't have kind of the morale to overcome the adversity. And I think when I sort of think back to this team last season, what we heard from Travis green a lot was there were games where they would get outshot and they would get outplayed that they'd be caved in their own end. But Travis green would talk about how they'd scratch and claw and it wasn't always pretty, but they somehow found a way to win games this season. It's, it's almost been at least for the last 10 games or so, they're playing relatively well, but they're finding new ways to lose. And so I think this kind of a mental break, it almost, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's like hitting the reset button um, just in terms of the mental clarity, especially how condensed the schedule has been. I think the Canucks are probably, have probably played the most games of any team in the National Hockey League so far. So you need that kind of a rest um, to get in a practice day or two would be huge as well because you think back to the last time the Canucks had a practice Day in toronto that was when their game started to turn a corner at least in terms of their process process so i think it's going to be really important for them because the way it's trending now it's not just about a lost season it's about okay now we've got to stop the bleeding so that none of this sort of negative atmosphere and culture bleeds into and affects next season
2: now question for both of you chris i'll start with you when you look at this team's last stretch of games here, what do you think the biggest issue facing them right now is? Like, what's causing these losses the most, do you think?
1: Yeah, it's it's tough to see. And I just want to piggyback off of something that Harms said, like when he was saying, I don't know what's worse, the way that they were losing early on in the season or the way that they've been losing lately. And if you look at, like, the process and the evolution of how they're losing, I feel like that's, like, the worst-case scenario, you know? Like, to not be winning games because you weren't playing good and then you end up playing good and still can't get a win... Like, I feel like that's the worst case scenario that you can kind of have as a team and how this team's kind of running right now. But the things that you're just seeing right now with this team is like, I think Harmon brought up a good point there too. I mean, sorry to piggyback off everything he said, but like, (laughs) you know, as soon as one goal happens for the Canucks, they aren't able to do that clawing back. It feels like, it feels like, you know, the floodgates are immediately open. Like, it's not like they're just opening the tap a little bit. As soon as they let up one goal, like they're cranking that thing to max and and it's just pouring out losses for this team. And. It's not like it's one thing, right? It's not like the goaltending has been bad every night. It's not like the defense has been bad every night. The forwards haven't scored enough every night. Like, they've had games where they get one of the three or two of the three, and then the thing that they don't get lets them down. So, really, it's it's just like – you can't pinpoint exactly what the thing that's letting them down is because this team is, you know, right now, if you look at how bad they've been in the month of February at five on five, they still haven't expected goals over 50%. Like they're still expected to score more goals than the other team, but with a 5% shooting percentage at five on five this month, it's, it's just, things aren't going their way. Even when they're playing good, when earlier in the year, maybe certain things started to bounce their way a little bit, even if they were playing bad, but right now they're just kind of getting the, the worst of both worlds and, Man, it's it's hard. Like, it's really hard to be invested in this team right now. Like, we have to do it because it's our jobs, right? This is our source of income. We have to be invested. But, like, a lot of fans that are just jumping off right now and, you know, not wanting to pay attention to the games anymore, when 7 o'clock comes around on a weeknight and you can think of something else to do instead of watching the Canucks games, that's when you're in a really bad spot as the organization and I, I think they're really lucky, like very, very lucky that there isn't fans in the arena right now because it would be an absolute gong show to see what it would be like right now.
2: And Harmon, yeah. for you,
1: what, what issues are you seeing the most that
2: are really seeping through for this team?
0: Well, it's as Faber, Faber mentioned. I think it's a variety,
2: uh, a combination of
0: things. For starters, I mean, as, as Chris mentioned, um, you know, luck has conspired against them. Kind of the bounces aren't going going in their favor right now. Um, and especially like you look at the Jake Patanin chance in the second period where they're whacking away and how close was that puck to crossing the line, right? It's like a goal in that sort of situation just changes the entire dynamic of the game. So, so they're, they're they've been a little bit unlucky so far. I think um, elsewhere, I think outside of that top line, I think the Pedersen line has started to round into form. I think Pedersen's got something along the lines of 15 points in his last 16 games uh, he's controlling play, starting to outshoot now, chance the opposition. But outside of that line, all three other lines aren't producing enough, right? So it's the overall depth there. And you look at the bottom six combined, the bottom six combined has 24 points this season. Like, it's it's absolutely astonishing, even relative to the bar that they set last season, how unproductive they've been. Uh, we saw the other night um, the power play was a difference maker where Edmonton got two on two on the special teams, Vancouver went, uh, went 04. And so recently the power play has kind of uh, has really tapered off. I think they're 22nd in inefficiency right now, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken and to pinpoint what's gone wrong with the power play again, even there it's a variety of, of problems and that's where it's so difficult to diagnose and solve some of these teams issues because there's so much going wrong, right? With the men advantage in the early going, it was, okay, they're creating a lot of chances. They're at least, at least able to consistently get set up. They've got the right passing plays going They're, they're They've got good puck movement. And, you know, at the time I thought it's only a matter of time before they turn things around. And we did see when Montreal came rolling into town uh, early in the season they, that they got going towards the latter stages stages of January But then what happened after that is the second unit, they pitched in with 17 power play goals last season. Their negative goal differential on the man advantage last I checked, right? Like that is a catastrophic difference. And then as of recent, you look at JT Miller hasn't been uh, as proficient, hasn't been as dynamic and effective from the left half wall. So they move him to the left circle. So they move him down to the net front position. They move Besser to the left circle. The problem I had with the power play look last night was, as soon as you have Besser on his left circle, I don't think he's really a threat there because he doesn't have a one-timer. Right? He doesn't have his shot is powerful as it can beat goalies from distance when it's when he's when it's either a snap or a wrister. He just doesn't score one-timer goals. You go back to his college resume, and you look at the highlights, and you look at his NHL career, NHL career the first two or three seasons. Doesn't score a lot of the one-timers. So not only do you not really have Besser as a threat from the left circle, but him being a right shot instead of the left shot that Miller was. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Miller would come down on a strong side and he was both a shooting threat and he could slide it over to Bo as the bumper for the one time, right? We know how much they used, Bo, they used Bo. He led the team in power play goals uh, over, the, over the last uh, year and a half or so. And so as a right shot there. Now Besser, because of that, Horvath's not really a threat either. So it almost looks like the, the formation that we saw last night that power play formation almost looks like the, tw- the second half of the 2018-19 season when it was like teams had figured out, okay, Pedersen's shot in the right circle is the only thing that, th- that this power play unit has. And so it's so predictable what the Canucks do. They're just passing on the perimeter going Hughes, Besser, Hughes, Pedersen, and, and, and you know exactly what's coming. And so when you have a lack of lack of options, a lack of threats, that's when you run into, I- in, into issues, so I'd like to see, and, and Dranson and I had the discussion the other day in the press box. Try and see if you can, if you're going to have Miller in the net front, and you say we don't want him handling the puck as much right now because he's he's making too many turnovers and he's not playing up to his ability level. Then I'd like to see Pedersen and Besser swap so that make Pedersen put the puck in his hands as a primary facilitator. What that does is now Horvat is back in; he's back on the clock as as a legitimate third in the bumper one time option. But now you've also opened up when guys are coming down on the strong sides and and I refer to this as, is coming down downhill. When you're coming down with speed on your left, left side is your left shot uh, forward. You have both the option to shoot and pass across. And that really is the key where, again, it's multiple threats. That's when you really confuse the defense and that opens up the cross scene, right? That opens up the Pedersen to Miller. That's, that's, you see a lot of power plays, uh, Toronto will often run a formation where they have Mitch Barner on the right side, Austin Matthews on the left side and they just go cross scene back and forth and that opens up shooting threats there. So I don't know with this team, there's just a lot going on and we can talk about the X's and O's, but, and I know I've kind of gone off on tangent here, but there's just, there's just so much. And, and I'm not sure that from a coach's perspective, you can really do much with, uh, with specific changes. I think this, this now goes down to the psychology of this team and, How are they going to overcome this this mental hurdle of this is snowballing against them?
2: Now, it's interesting that you actually brought that up because it kind of segues perfectly into my next question. And Chris, I guess I'll start with you. I know you and I have talked about this a bit, but at what point does Travis Green have to start shouldering some of the blame here? Like, you know, every time you and I have talked, we've kind of said like, you know, this is a personnel issue and it's not so much that Travis isn't getting the best out of this team. It's just that this team, just as Harmon was alluding to just isn't deep enough and they're not getting enough help. So at at what point do you think there's a breaking point where we have to start saying, okay, maybe this is on Travis Green?
1: I don't think you get to a point where you say it's on him. Like it's still on the general manager for the, for the team that he built here. I just think that, you know, he, I think I just saw that last line change that they just made, you know, moving JT Miller to the third line, putting Huglander up on the first line. And it just feels like, it feels like the last bullet that they have, right? Like it's the last shot that they have really of kind of not even turning around this team, but just giving fans some hope. Right. Like that's the last smokescreen they can throw at fans before things really fall off a cliff. And this organization just loses everyone, like loses a lot of their fans, loses all the fair weather fans and the diehards start to turn on them. Like that's a bad spot to be in. And I I think that Travis Green has done done like a a job that, you know, is just kind of average at this point. Like he's not done a great job where he's lifted the team to a next level to to get there. But at the same time, that's asking a lot. I mean, he's, he did that last year with this team. He did that in the playoff bubble. And now in a strange year where you're playing only Canadian teams, I thought that that was going to kind of help Travis green as one of what I thought was the better coaches in the Canadian division. I thought that, you know, three game sets was going to be good for a squad that trusts their coach believes in their coach and knows that their coach can make their team a better squad. So I, I don't think I'm going to put the blame on Travis just yet. I don't think I'm going to get there at any point this season, to be honest. I think, uh, like a lot of people say that, you know, it's almost not like if Jim Benning gets fired, it's like when Jim Benning gets fired and the new GMs brought in, they're going to look for, you know, the GMs. They like to sign their coach, right? They like to bring in their guy, but when a new GM come in here and see a young guy like Travis green, who's done a pretty good job with this young core has been grown into this organization. I feel like the general manager actually has to at least consider having Travis green for a long run. And I do think that he's probably the coach for this team to run into the future with at, But you know, Obviously he's not lifting them right now but it's not like he's one guy to blame like it's not the players to blame it's not the general manager to blame it's really everyone like everybody has not stepped up to the next level to get this team to be better like everybody's been bad the players have been bad at times the coaching has been bad at times the general manager has been the worst at times so it's it's hard to blame anyone aside from the guy who's at the top and building this team. And I do think that even some of it probably falls on ownership as well for not being able to get ahead of certain situations and actually make moves to move this team to be better in the future. So I kind of look at it more as like, I think more of the blame should go at the top. I think a lot of it's on ownership. I think a lot of it's on the management core. Um, and then it kind of falls down to the coaches and players and like kind of like a similar spot for me. So I'm not going to put a lot of the blame, on travis green because i think he's done a fine job with the hand he's been dealt but if you're in a poker game and you're getting seven twos every hand it's hard to win like it's hard to bluff when they know you have bad hands and i think he just is in a spot right now where he can't really bluff what this lineup really is Harmon, your thoughts
0: yeah i mean i just look at this roster and i'm like okay there's no doubt that to this point in the season coaching staff hasn't gotten enough out of this roster for sure it's as Chris mentioned the blame goes around for everyone. The coaching staff is not above criticism, but how much more can you realistically do, right? Like as we've discussed in terms of lineup changes, different line combinations. Uh, I, I mean, even with the the system that the Canucks are playing right now, what can you honestly tweak that's going to bring about meaningful change? And I think the the one area that really stands out to me is probably the power play, which. Um, I agree. I, I can see why fans are a little bit frustrated with Noel Brown right now. But again, this is a stretch of 24, 25 games. Whereas you look at the the bigger picture of what this coaching staff has accomplished under the tutelage of uh, Travis Green. This is, I mean, just look at last season and how much juice he was able to squeeze out of a roster that uh, that honestly wasn't that good. And I think it's it's almost a case of like, and i and i mentioned this last season last year's roster played to the absolute peak of their potential and you've got to keep in mind when this when this ross when this team like before the shutdown they were slipping on a playoff spot they were on the knife's edge and so i think by almost getting get, getting hot at the right time and having that success in the bubble it almost created uh, a false a false reality, a, a fa- false sense of expectation of what this roster is actually capable of. And so in, in that sense, I think this is, to me anyway, I, I looked at this roster going in and I said, they have a shot to make the playoffs. I think they're 50-50. And obviously they haven't played up to that level. And so the coaching staff deserves does, does deserve criticism on that merit. But I mean, there's just how many more buttons are there to push? Right, and and that's ultimately what I keep going back to is you look at this, uh, you look at the way this roster is is built. You only have half a dozen players or so that move the needle, right? You've got that core of Pedersen, Hughes, Besser, Horvat, Miller, but after that, we know the bottom six is a wasteland. We know that after Hughes and Schmidt, the Canucks don't really have much on the back end. They have average goaltending right now. That to me does not look like. A, a good team on paper, and and Dom Lushin had them at the Athletic sixth, ranked sixth in in the division coming into this season. So, ultimately, yeah, you you can't put blame on the coaching staff, but it's not the major issue in my mind. I think it is it is still the personnel, even as frustrating as it is to see how little, how how hopeless this roster looks.
2: Guys, question for both of you what is ailing JT Miller? And I guess I'll go first here because I kind of floated out the idea last week. And I have been for the past couple weeks that, you know, when the Canucks traded for this guy, they didn't think they were getting the JT Miller that they got last year. But I also don't think that he should just be omit from all criticism and be like, Oh, well, he's just playing how he did before that. Like he, if my memory serves correct, he was better than he is right now the year before he came to the Canucks. And we know what he's capable of. We saw it last year. I think there has to be almost like a a middle ground where they can kind of, JT Miller can play like he did last year, but also not as badly as he did this year. Your thoughts on that, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think it almost, it's weird because like, you don't want to say that it's all due to the, the games that he missed at the start of the year because of the COVID situation, but it feels like, it almost just feels like, you know, when you don't play for a while and your timing's just a little bit off and he's just not quite, you know, when you're even when you're stick handling the puck, just forehand to backhand, forehand to backhand. If the timing's off, the puck bounces on you and you don't have it at times. It just feels like, like, I'm not going to say that's the reason the COVID time is the reason, but that's what it feels like 20 games into the season now. I mean, 20 games into JT Miller's year, it feels like the timing's just off. He's not able to stick handle like he was. Pucks are bouncing up on him and it just you didn't see that last year. This was a guy last year who, when the puck was on his stick, he was damn hard to get off of it. Right. I mean, he was a big reason why that line was able to have so much possession time in the offensive zone. I thought he was the strongest on the puck out of Brock Besser and Elias Patterson last season with that lotto line when they were first formed. And I think that was a big reason why we saw a success out of them because he was able to, you know, have the puck hard on the boards, let Patterson and Besser move around, find open spots on the ice and get their shots off. And You're just not really seeing that this year. I know that a lot of people say that the frustration from him that you see visibly on the ice, isn't a great thing. I wonder how much that has been, you know, changed because of not having fans in the arena like, I wonder if we, we just didn't hear all the F-bombs before, and now you're hearing them on the broadcast and all that stuff. But there was a one yesterday, and I know, Harm, you were at the game last night as well. Yeah. Hearing that one where he looked over at the ref, like, that was a lot. I don't know how the broadcast didn't pick that one up, because you could hear that from outside the arena. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't really, like, I don't want to say that that's a bad thing, but I also, like, don't just, like, think it's fine either. Like, I think the way that he's on this team right now at 27 years old – he, he does need to be one of the leaders. He needs to be kind of like Bo Horvat on the ice, but at the same time, like that's kind of the, just the way he is. I think, I think off the ice and in the room, that's the way he is. He's a fiery guy. So if things are going bad and it helps him get his game better to get pissed off, then let him do his thing, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, man, you know, we aren't seeing what he was last year for sure. Uh, I, I didn't watch enough of him, uh, you know, as a Tampa Bay lightning or, or ranger to to say that that's what we're seeing now, but to have him move down to that third line, like I said, it's kind of the last bullet in the chamber for the Canucks here. But I did like what that line did the other night. I, I really liked the combination of JT Miller, Brandon Sutter, uh, and Adam Gaudette. So I, you know, if that's going to be something that works for them in the future here moving forward, we'll have to see. But that also means Jake Virtanen's in your top six and as we go into the next few games here.
2: Armin, what's going on with JT Miller? Similar things to what Chris was saying?
0: Yeah, I think we mentioned how valuable the the mental break would be with these three three days off. I can't think of a Canuck that could benefit more from that time off than JT Miller. It just seems as if like a lot of people will say, Oh, he's forcing too much. And I do agree to some extent, but a lot of these plays that he was able to that he that he was able um to make last season, it's as if, you know the turnovers that the, what I'm trying to say is the turnovers that he was making this season. A lot of those were the same plays that he was successfully able to execute last year. And so in the moment when he's turning the puck over, they look like, Oh, he's not executing. These are high danger plays. Why, are, why is he going East West as, as the last player at the offensive blue line and as the last man back. But it's like, I remember in the off season, I was going to write an article about just how impressed I was with Miller's playmaking in terms of his ability to as the last man back consistently execute on these difficult passes like that's who JT Miller is when he's on top of his game he he comes up high in the offensive zone he is the last man back and he can shield defenders off and he can make those difficult east-west passes that that's what made him so dynamic so dangerous last season so I don't think the answer is as simple as he's just got to simplify his game because that's part of his identity as a player And so when I look, when I consider that, it's, I I don't know why I'm I'm trying to diagnose what's behind the lack of execution. And and maybe at a certain point, the frustration starts to compound and you become, and you start to, you know, the cliche of holding the stick a little bit, a little bit tighter. And, um, and maybe at a certain point, maybe you weren't forcing plays early in the season, but now because you're trying to play yourself out of a cold rut, now you are starting to force a little bit, but, it just comes down to he's been sloppy. He's been a little bit careless with his pocket management. And I think there hasn't been uh, enough engagement away from the puck where you see the back checks like there was the one in Toronto where he just stopped moving his feet. So a lot of the details of his game that are so good when when he's at his best have started to slip. And it's just inexplicable to me. I'm not sure why because, again, this isn't something that, for an outside observer, they look at the point totals and they say, "Miller's still close to a point per game. What's wrong?" And the problem, of course, as we see, is the puck management. It's the two way impact as a play driver. It's what he's doing in the defensive end. And I'm not sure what's what's going on. We know that. I remember going back to the offseason and. Miller had some pretty strong comments about being surprised about all the guys that they lost, right? And so I, I just think the combination of factors, this truncated season, you know, missing the missing the start of the campaign, uh, all the guys that they lost, the when things aren't going your way, the the early season frustration, and we know Miller's a, a player that wears his heart wears his heart in his sleeve. He becomes easily frustrated. I think all these combinations are starting to bleed into his game, and I think there is a psychological element there where when you're frustrated, it becomes a lot more difficult to execute things. Like imagine when I'm trying to think of a good example here, but when you're trying to, let's say in a video game, right? You're trying to beat a certain level in a game. And let's say you in, in normal times, you have the skill level to beat that level. But when you, when you die five times in a row, For some reason, counterintuitively, it becomes that much harder to actually beat that level the sixth or the seventh or the eighth time because you become more and more and more frustrated. And sometimes what you just need is a fresh start. You need a mental break to reset. And it's not that you're that you don't have the ability level, it's that for whatever reason, psychologically you're just frustrated and and you want to quit. And I think JT Miller is kind of at that level right now where he's trying it's almost like he's yeah, he's trying his best. I don't think it's 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 a lack of effort, but it's just becoming so frustrating for him. Things are going against him, and he just needs a mental reset. So that's kind of where I'm at with this game.
1: Yeah, the, the three days, like you mentioned, is going to be great. It, it feels like when you're playing Warzone and you can't get a win for like two weeks, so you got to just play Chell for like a good couple days. Exactly, and just give yourself man. a reset. But with, with Miller, I just want to bring this up from last year. Uh, you guys might remember when he injured uh, Travis Hamannick, actually, uh, in that game against Calgary. He dropped the gloves right off the bat in that fight after he was kind of in a little bit of a slump. And I'm not saying that he needs to drop the gloves, but we saw it at times, I think earlier in this year, where you could just tell like Miller wants to get involved physically in a game. And I think we saw that last year quite a bit when the team was slumping. And that's why I think a lot of fans thought going into this season, like JT Miller is a leader, like look at him change his game to kind of get the team going, whether it's with physicality or other things, but the, his ability to get physical. And I, I was just looking it up and looking at that game last year, After he dropped the gloves in that game uh, right at the start against Calgary and then ended up uh, taking out Travis Hamanick, like I mentioned, got 17 points in his next 11 games. So I don't know if if that's going to be something, like you mentioned, Harm, that it's just you kind of build up to a certain point, almost like you need to mix something up. I've seen it at times where JT Miller has gotten engaged physically this year, and it hasn't really helped. And I'm not saying a fight's going to change anything, but I don't know if it can really hurt this team much more anyway. So I'd like to see JT Miller kind of throw the body around or at least continue to be physical because he is the physical guy on the line that he's on because he's playing in, you know, top six, top nine situations where he's probably the most physical guy on that unit. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing him just getting a little bit more involved that way to try and get his game going.
2: Trade deadline's about six weeks out. Now, just before we wrap up here, I'll get both of your thoughts on this. If you're the GM of the Vancouver Canucks, what are you doing at the trade deadline? And what do you think they will actually do at the deadline? We'll start with you, Harmon.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if any of us were in management's shoes, I'm sure we could agree that at this point, the season is, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's over. They're not going to make the playoffs. I think that's a pretty safe conclusion to make at this point. And if that's the case, you've got to aggressively sell. And it's not so much that you're looking to peel off on your expiring UFAs like Tanner Pearson and um, Jordy Ben and Brandon Sutter. And, and all of a sudden you you want to acquire draft picks and it's like, you're building for the future. No, like when you are, let's say acquiring picks or you are, let's say, trying to identify certain expansion targets, you know, with the draft picks in mind, your, the, the, the goal there is let's say you acquire a second round pick for Tanner Pearson you're immediately going to then be looking at, okay, how do we pedal that at some point before next season to get help for next season? Because I think it's clear at this point that this team sooner rather than later needs to, with this core group of players, I know people look at Pedersen and Hughes and say, oh, they're so young, we've got time. But you look at the timeline that Horvat and Miller are on, you need to turn this project around sooner rather than later. And if that's your goal, I think you almost have to look at it. And I know know they talked about it on the broadcast last night, where do we really want to sell off? And and is that the right message to send to these group of players right now? Well, no, I mean, the way you've got to frame it is this. We're we're selling off these pieces right now so that we can use this trade currency to get better for next season, right? Like that's, that's the goal that you've got to keep in mind because the second round pick that you get from Tanner Pearson all of a sudden Right before the expansion draft, you're going to have teams that can't protect certain forwards or certain defensemen. And the Canucks, they don't really, they have flexibility in terms of their protection slots, both up front and on the back end. So you can poach other teams for talent that they may otherwise lose and acquire really good, um, really good players. And, and, And the goal is almost, again, to find the next William Carlson, to find the next Jonathan Marchessault. Uh, to find the next, um, you know, Marco Scandello was a guy that the wild traded Uh, and just to find an impact contributor that can help your club next season. And you, to do that, you've got to acquire as many trade chips as you can, because look at this roster right now, the organization doesn't have a lot of trade chips. If they wanted to make a move today, they, they didn't pick until round three in this, in this last year's draft. So they've got a little, be a little bit careful about trading their own picks away. So I think you've got to be aggressive in that sense. You've got to look to move Pearson. You've got to look to move Ben. You've got to look to move Sutter, retain salary there, get creative, uh, and then just kind of take it from there. As for what they're actually going to do, this is where this is where it gets a little bit tricky. And, and Drance and I wrote about it in last night's Armies, where you've got a GM right now in Jim Benning, where you've got to ask yourself how – how long-term is he really going to be thinking? Is he going to be in self-preservation mode? Because a team at this stage, they can't afford to let a guy like Tanner Pearson walk in free agency without cashing in on the asset. Like, that would be a catastrophe. They need to be aggressive in, in thinking towards the next two or three seasons, and not just, can, can we make a last-ditch effort? I mean, to hear uh, in, in on insider trading, TSN, I think it was Pierre Lebrun, or Darren Drager talking about the Canucks are doing everything they they can to consider adding a top nine forward. Like, like that's tone deaf at this stage. You can't be looking to add to this group right now um, unless it's a deal that makes you better for next season. So that's kind of the thought process that you have to keep in mind. And and you do wonder if management's uh, if management's incentives are going to be polluted. So that's, that's the worry that I think a lot of the fan base has right now where they logically should be selling. We don't know if they are going to,
1: Yeah, I think that's the problem with not really having a plan, right? I mean, you know, the plans have obviously changed this year. I think a lot of people were in the boat of thinking that this team was going to compete for a Stanley Cup, but the plan has immediately changed. And, you know, I think that's just so tough because we haven't seen any outside-of-the-box thinking from this management group. And it's a tough spot. Like, you mentioned some players that, you know, you might want to try and dig out a Carlson or, you know, a Marcia or anyone. But, like, why not try and dig out, like, like Vegas got Nate Schmidt in the expansion draft. Right. like That's a perfect example of the type of defenseman that you might be able to pull off a team who's playing as a fourth or a third guy on some other team, but really should be higher on a defense core with the Vancouver Canucks. So I think looking for a player like that, I mean, like Harmon's kind of said there, like the Canucks are going to have spaces to protect players and they can make some serious upgrades to that, but you're going to need to buy them. And right now the Canucks are in sell mode because they're trying to get some currency so that they can buy for next season or at the expansion draft or at the draft. Like things are going to have to change with this Canucks team because if you look at the contracts that are under the books, like, yeah, Sutter's up, Pearson's up, Edler's up, but you're you're coming back with a very similar looking roster because the money that you think that you're going to have to spend is obviously going to Hughes and Pedersen when their ELCs are up. So you're coming back with a very similar roster next year, unless you actually go out there and do some out of the box thinking and unfortunately you have not seen very much of that if any of that in the gym ending era. so it looks like you're going to have to be able to you know that might be the first move that you have to make is at the management group but we'll have to see what happens here quads what uh, what about you let's let's stop the questions and give us some answers for for one time in this interview what do you think um they what do you think they can get for let's say like the sum of a Brandon Sutter and a Tanner Pearson, potentially an Adam Gaudet or a Jake Vertanen, like what is the sum that you think the Canucks could come out of here? Best case scenario, what do they come out of this trade deadline with?
2: I think the best case scenario is kind of what Harmon said, and it's a second round pick for Tanner Pearson. Like I think that is the highest return you're going to get for any of these players. And again, like we've heard Jake Vertanen, there's interest from Anaheim, but that second year is an issue. And it's just crazy that a, a contract that was signed this off season is already handcuffing them. And it's, it's crazy. It's a, and a like,
1: two year deal at like that too. Right? Exactly. It's not like it's a five year deal. It's going to It's a literally a two year deal. You've already gone through a quarter of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, so when I look at the trade deadline, that's what I'm thinking is the only guy with value here is Tanner Pearson. Like the only guy who you're going to get a legitimate return for is Tanner Pearson. And like Harmon said, you've got to then look to, you know, maybe you can send that second round pick to Seattle and they take Tyler Myers. They do you a favor by doing that or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they have to get creative. And uh, like you said, Chris, we just haven't seen it a ton. So you know, you have to wait and see, obviously you can't, you can't uh, write about it already and just say like, okay, this isn't going to happen. They may surprise some people, but I think they have to get, get moving quickly here because teams are going to want that player sooner rather than later. They can't afford to wait right until the deadline. And then I think if they do that, we'll be looking at Tanner Pearson finishing the season with the Canucks and then not resigning in the off season, which as Harmon said, would be a disaster.
1: Yeah I think we're at the point right now where you know disaster is kind of just how the season's feeling like it's almost like Canucks fans are getting used to it so that they're already ready to just accept it and get to that point later on you know when the trade deadline when things don't happen right so I think like you mentioned that and that's why I kind of asked you best case scenario but at the same time like there, there's a really good chance that Canucks can't move Brandon Sutter there's a good chance they can't move Jake for Tannen. there's a good chance that You know, Tanner Pearson probably, you know, he's probably the best option. I think that's pretty known. I mean, you know, when the radio stations are talking about it and you're seeing it every single day on the tweets, you know, it's out there for sure. Man, like, you know, how bad would it be? And I don't, I guess not even bad because you do need to move him, but, you know, a fourth round pick is something that could be in the realm of what you get for Tanner Pearson. Like, that could be one of the low end of what happens because of this being such a strange year where there's going to be a quarantine process. You know, you're already playing in your own division. Like if he moves to another team in Canada, what's that draft pick like? What if he goes down to the States, he has to miss a certain amount of games. So I, I like, I've heard a lot of people throw the second round pickup for Tanner Pearson and maybe harm you can add to this, but like, I just, I don't think like, that would be great. I think that would be great for the Canucks. I just don't see it happening to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's definitely an interesting perspective and we're going through a unique market situation that we don't know what's going to happen where we saw the same thing last offseason. It was a free agency like none other where you saw so many second-year players sign such inexpensive contracts. And usually free agency is this window <laughs> for GMs to make a ton of mistakes that handcuff them handcuff them for the future but rather this free agency was such a strong buyer's market so i'm gonna be curious to see how the pandemic and flat cap scenario affects the market for this deadline but i'm a little bit more optimistic on on, on pearson's value i think i'm just going through this logically i'm not i i haven't you know talked to people around the league and, and done the due diligence on what pearson could be worth quite yet but you know, if I'm just thinking about this logically, if you move him early enough, and I think that's the key because you do have to take into account any potential quarantine and the fact that if a guy is taking a week off, it may take him time to get to get back into stride. If I'm, and we heard Arizona already thrown into the mix, if I'm a team looking to make the playoffs, if I think I have a shot at a Stanley Cup, if I was general manager, I really like Tanner Pearson as a player. At a minimum, I'd be offering Vancouver a third round pick right? Like if, if Vancouver's best offer was a fourth round pick, if I was another GM as a contending team. And again, I'm just thinking this through logically, not through, you know, something I've heard from other people around from league sources or anything, I'd, I'd up that offer. I, I would, I would outbid um, a fourth round pick. So I'm a little bit more optimistic and I think, you know, maybe if it's not even a draft pick, maybe it is immediately your are uh, thinking about, you know, potential expansion targets. And and that may be a little bit more appealing for teams where, you know, instead of a draft pick where it's something that you possess, you may look at, um, you know, let's say a team like Toronto. Um, they may have a piece on their back end like Travis Dermott, who they know that they're going to have to expose and may potentially lose. They may look at that as, okay, we're all, we're already going to lose this piece. So this psychologically doesn't feel like is that it's as much of a loss as a draft pick. So you may see teams more willing to move um, players that may provide more value because of the expansion draft dynamics as opposed to draft picks. So I'm still pretty optimistic on what the Canucks can get for Tanner Pearson for some of the other names, as you mentioned, Jake Bertanen, Brandon Sutter, uh, Adam Gaudet. I am pretty bearish on on those guys. I think you're going to have to get pretty creative to get uh, non-marginal returns.
1: Yeah, I want to talk a lot about Goddard after we let Harmon go here. But uh, I, don't, I don't want to think about adding Tanner Pearson to that that Toronto Maple Leafs forward group. I mean, if he's able to go in there and score like that, it's going to be like playing Exodia in, uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, absolutely just taking over what this North Division is. So, uh, yeah, I think we're good to wrap it up. I know you're hosting Quads, so you can kind of thank Harmon and post out here. But uh, from me, thanks for doing this again, Harm. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: we're going to cut to ads. But uh, yeah, Harmon, huge thank you. We will have to do it again. I cannot wait till we can all get in studio again. Fun as always, boys. Thanks for having me. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break Openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z E P H Y R Epic on all platforms.
1: Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P 49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer.
2: The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employees on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trade jobs that pay well offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm
1: career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC liquor store which or your local liquor store wherever you get drinks pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze the best tastiest drink on the market right now
2: Alright, and a major thank you to all of our sponsors, and of course, Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Chris, that was a fun chat with Harmon, as always, but one thing I know you wanted to kind of touch on there, and you kind of alluded to it before we cut to break, was
1: you want to talk a little bit about Adam Gaudet. So, the floor is yours, my friend, just go off, tell us what you want to talk about. Well, I think that we've obviously seen Adam Gaudet make a transition from center to wing this year with uh, with Travis Green deciding to use Brandon Sutter and J.B. Gloss' bottom six centers, and I know that Adam Goddett's had a horrible, horrible situation with the luck that he's getting right now, but to see that he's creating the most scoring chances in the NHL and the fact that he's now leading the Canucks in Corsi percentage at 5-on-5 five five above Niels Huglander, who has been kind of the leader for the most of the season, like, I don't know why we aren't using this guy in the top six. Like, why aren't the Canucks giving him a chance to play in that spot where we saw Jake for and even the other day? And I think that, like, I think we're going to get back to a point pretty soon where the lot of lines going to be back together. You saw Travis Green actually even go back to that late in the game against the Edmonton Oilers just the other night. And I just, I, I don't see why that opportunity hasn't been given for him to skate with Elias Pettersson or Bo Horvat, and you know what, Quads, you were on this a long time ago You wanted this, I think, a lot, like, even at the start of the season Because back when I was on the Jake for 10 and in the top 6 train You were already on the Godet train, so you might be ahead of it a little bit there But now I just want to be, I want it to be out there That I, I am, like, the number one supporter now of Adam Godet being in the top 6 Because... Making a transition to wing has opened up a lot more for him to be able to skate down the wing and use his speed Instead of having to be defensively as responsible like a center has to be at 5 on 5 So, you know, he's he's shooting a ton of pucks right now Like I said, leading the league in scoring chances can't buy a goal But we all know how luck works When bad luck comes, good luck's going to be just on the horizon So I think that's a move that the connection make to move him not only Potentially full time as a winger But to see if he can actually run with the top 6 Playing against tougher matchups Because obviously where he's playing right now In bottom 6 roles, he's getting weaker defensemen Against him, but let's see what he can look like Because he's looked excellent as a winger At creating scoring chances in the bottom 6 So why not see what he can do in a top 6 With better players who are better at scoring Better contributors, better playmakers Better scorers in their own end I just would like to see Adam Gaudet get a shot in the top 6
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you But the one thing that we have to remember Chris is, you know, he's got to start finishing these chances, right? Like it's great he's getting scoring chances, but man, he's got to start putting them in the back of the net. And I don't know if moving to the top 6 and like you said playing against tougher competition is going to allow him to do that. Like I I'm curious and I want to see them try it, but man, like you also have to remember that if he's playing against tougher competition, it's going to be even harder for him to finish.
1: Yeah, I think that, that that's definitely true. I think that it's going to come from the scoring chances like you can't be This good at getting scoring chances without Getting some goals like look at the way Bo Horvat Scored that goal the other mm-hmm. day when they get that First goal like he just has not been able To get any of those and you watch every single shift And he's going out there and he's getting Like he's not getting shots on net if he was just Getting a ton of shots on net that would be one thing But these are scoring chances these are Chances of the puck going in the net where It just hasn't gone his way at all this year He's sitting at a 5.26 Percent shooting percentage where In the past two seasons he's been over a 11% so you know that number is going to rise Because he's proven to you that his Shot and ability to finish is good enough At the NHL level it's just not Coming right now for him unfortunately and I, I just think it's right around the corner Like it has to be he's playing too good At creating offense to not get some, some rewards from the effort That he's giving every night and I think That moving him into the top would be great I mean even like the line That he's playing on at 5 on 5 like his On ice percentage right now for shooting percentage Is 4% Like that's horrible Everybody on the ice is just being in the worst spot He's got one of the lower PDOs in the league Which is a measure of shot percentage And on-ice save percentage So both ends of the ice He's getting unlucky with goals going in And shots not going in for him offensively I just I need I think that he deserves a spot in the top 6 and to see what Jake Frtandon did the other night like Jake Jake had a couple of good periods he obviously took those two early penalties which wasn't great but he was getting scoring chances too and everybody's like freaking out loving that Jake Frtandon's getting scoring chances when Adam Gaudet's been doing this all season long in a bottom 6 role so to me, it's that's the next move, and I kind of have talked about it the last couple episodes, how Travis Green doesn't really have any more you know, I said bullets in the chamber when we were talking with Harm, but I'd say he doesn't have anything to smoke screen fans with anymore. I just think one move that would actually help kind of just reinvigorate the fan base a little bit might be moving a guy like Adam Godet, who obviously is a fan favorite for a lot of people, whether it because of his Twitch streaming or his goal celebrations, like get him in the top six and just see what happens. No, I'm
2: absolutely with you. Like I think anything at this point, right? Like they're like you said, they're running out of bullets in the chamber, and they've got to keep trying new stuff. And I think I don't think we're that far away from seeing Adam Gaudet in the lineup now. One player that you kind of talked about being a potential guy to go in the lineup, and you did this in an article, not on the show yet, but I wanted to give you the chance to talk about it on the show was Luke, Lucas Yasik in Utica. And he's had a really good season. And, you know, my knowledge of his season is just from editing your article last night, which was a really good read up now at CanucksArmy.com. Very good read, Chris. And you talked about how Mark Michaelis is probably in front of this guy. Now, we talked a bit about trading Brandon Sutter or trading uh, a Jig Jigvertanen or an Adam Gaudet or Tanner Pearson. All forwards, right? Like, the Canucks, if they make a deal, it's likely going to be a forward that gets dealt. Now, I look at this situation and I say, okay, they have Cole Lind, and I think it would almost be counterintuitive to get Cole Lind into the NHL lineup as a winger. So, what I'm thinking is, if you want to... Kind of see what you have in one of these guys Like a Lockwood or a Michaelis or even a Jacek The move has to be to let them get NHL games in as a center, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I would say they're Or, sorry, as a winger, sorry I would say you get those guys up as a winger Before you move them to center at the NHL level And I would say you try and keep Lind in the minors
1: and Developing as a center and just getting Him used to that position yeah, it's it's a perfect example. Like you absolutely just nailed it. Because what we're gonna see, uh, we're recording this right before the Utica Comets game is about to start right now on Friday night. But from the projected lines from Ben Burnell down on the ground in Utica. He's got Lucas Yassick on the first line as the winger for Cole Lind. When Lucas Yassick might be the best faceoff taker right now in Utica, like he's he's the best natural center faceoff taker right now in Utica. And there's a reason why he's not playing center when he's on a line with Cole Lind, and that's because the organization really wants to see what Cole Lind can do as a center. There's there's higher potential for Cole Lind than Lucas Yassick. I don't think that's breaking news to anyone. Obviously, if Cole Lynn could develop as a center and continue to just you know put up good numbers in the AHL, then and there's a spot for him to at least get a shot in the NHL pretty soon, and still potentially even be a guy who fits in on your third line to kind of clean up that role. So you're seeing Lucas Yask be thrown to the wing, even though he's the great, he's the best face off guy right now in Utica. So I think that's kind of saying exactly what you said there. Like if you want to just bring Lucas Yask up. I'd be interested to see how he looks taking faceoffs against NHL competition, but at the same time, he's playing wing right now in the AHL, and he probably will be this weekend as we have two games for the Utica Comets. Uh, one last night if you're listening to this on Saturday, and then one as well coming up on Saturday in the afternoon. So I just I, there's a lot to like about this kid. You heard it in the quotes from Tra- from Trent Cull, head coach down there in Utica. He was just. He said he's a checked box player He checks all the boxes that he wants He kills penalties, he takes face-offs He's on the power play, he's great at 5-on-5 He's defensively responsible Like, this is a guy who's been in a three-year progression To becoming a a professional center over here in North America His first year he comes over, puts up over a point per game In that little run at the end of the season uh, in 2017-18 But then he's got the whole 18-19, whole 19-20 And now his third full season in Utica Like, he's earned a lot of respect, I think, from this organization. But actually, no, like, I don't know. I know he's learned a lot. He's earned a ton of respect down in Utica... But I'm curious to see what the Canucks are. Like, I'd love to just be able to hear what some of their scouting staff and guys are saying about Lucas Jacek because from what we see at the AHL level, and and we, I guess, is me and Corey Hergott watching this guy, like, (laughs) you know, there's there's a lot to like about this kid. And I think one of the quotes that was great from Cull was saying that you you really have to watch him. Like you really have to watch him because he's not gonna go out there and be super flashy and just be creating ridiculous plays to make it happen, like we see from Niels Huglander in the SHL. But but Yasik. Is just going to be so dependable right now for what they're doing, and moving him up to the first line now, he's going to be skating with Cole Lynn and Sven Berchi. Like puck drops happening in about seven minutes, so I'm ready to wrap this thing up and get to that game because I'm excited to see that. Not only that, we'll we'll just dive right into the prospects report. Okay, quads, I'm going to go on a little rant here if you're fine. Go with for that. it, man. Jack Rathbone, talk about it front of the show. Jack Rathbone, friend of the show, is making his professional hockey debut today He'll be skating on a second pairing with Jet Wu down in Utica That is super exciting for all Canucks fans to hear Because those are two players who will be playing in Canucks jerseys in a handful of years Not even a handful, just a few years away, I think And that's super exciting for us to get to watch that at the AHL level and watch them develop So I hope that pairing works well and I hope they end up playing a long time together So we'll definitely have more to report uh, with Corey next week on the Tuesday or Wednesday episode Whenever we do our Week that's going to be a fun chat with Corey For sure to dive into that Uh, And then the final thing I just want to touch on is Vasily Podkolzin uh, We've seen some reports from Rick Dollywall Saying that he will not be playing until the playoffs uh, I've seen him in some practices now For the, for Scott organization uh, He's probably not going to play the rest of the regular season According to Dollywall So uh, I'm going to go with Dollywall on that I know who he's talking to And I know that the guy that he's talking to is uh, Makes a lot of decisions for that organization So uh, I'm going to go with that That he's not going to play till the playoffs So for people that are wondering that's going to start on, uh, f- uh, sorry, March 2nd is when the first game for Sky is in the playoffs. They're going to run through that first playoff uh, matchup. Like, they're going to absolutely run through it. But I think coming off of that, they're going to have to just go off and see what they can bring with Vasily Colson as he gets into some playoff time. And more action for Vasilipod Podkolzin is going to be great as he keeps going into the playoffs. So if he's able to just get through that first series, and then we're going to start to see a little bit of a matchup, which is going to be tougher for them because that second round matchup is going to be a lot more tough. And then we're going to see if they get eliminated from there. And then the look for Vasilipod Podkolzin is on, like Vasilipod Podkolzin watch, whatever we want to call it, Pod watch sounds okay. Uh, Pod watch kind of begins once we get to that second round of the playoffs for SKA.
2: Interesting stuff, Chris. Great job. As always, we should give start a segment where I do a goaltending report. I think that'd be great, and I just update people on Archer Seeloves because uh, or or, or you know you
1: could you can just go start your own podcast or whatever you want to do. Like that would be cool. Too. I'm
2: gonna go on the Crease Cast where I'm welcome with Cody Sievertson <laughs> and Lachlan Irvine. Do
1: it. Trade deadline's coming up.
2: Absolutely. This <laughs> is this has been a fun episode, Chris. We're gonna have a lot more coming in the coming weeks. Everybody, please go ahead and rate and review the show. Five star review would be Much much appreciated we don't know why but it's Really good for the show if people do that so If you have a chance please do so And as always got to plug the Patreon patreon.com slash Canucks Convo support the show uh, Much appreciated and we do a lot of different Bonus content our uh, Award winning Faber and quads shooting the Bleep. We talk non-hockey stuff, and it's it's a lot of fun. Last last time we talked about uh, what we got in the most trouble for as a kid, and all we found out was that I really wasn't a bad kid at all. So I think that's about it. Chris, do you have anything you want to add to any of that?
1: No. Just as we're celebrating with Zephyr, uh, and we just got to give a quick shout out. We don't have any betting tips this week. We've been pretty slow on the bets uh, for Odd Shark. But the final thing I wanted to mention for Zephyr Epic. Was uh, Since it, since they're celebrating 25 years of Pokemon And are presenting sponsors of the show We love to support them, they love to support us So it's a great mutual relationship They're doing a big celebration down in Surrey At their store, so uh, not a huge celebration I mean, come by, they're doing a bunch of sales If you want to get in there for that uh, But I, I want to just finish with this Who's your favorite Pokemon growing up, Quads? Who's your favorite uh, like singular character Not even character, just who, which Pokemon is your favorite? Charizard. I always thought Charizard was
2: mm. so cool. Uh, but That's in fair. the games, I I started Chimchar as my uh, my beginner Pokemon. That was always. I, mm. I usually went Fire. But in the most recent one, Pokemon Sword. I think I played. Uh, that one I went with uh, the Grass type. I can't remember the name of it, but I went with the Grass type. And I got some good tips actually from Thomas Drance who's uh, mm. who who knows a lot about that game. Helped me out a lot. I got my uh, Toxel leveled up to a Toxicity. Pretty cool.
1: Okay, I don't know some of those words. I know I just lost you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, my guy's Dragonite. I always like Dragonite. Like in the series, when they first see him, that was pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, just always like Dragonite. I thought he was the coolest one. And uh, I'm watching Dragonite's just, cool. just flipped on the comments game right now. So uh, it's looking good, man. We got, uh, we got the big man in the game right now. So uh, Jack Rathbone finally making his his first debut. He's wearing number three. Beautiful, Kevin BX Looks is old great. number three. You're going to have a full report by the way
2: Everybody uh, listening to this will Have to go check out Canucks Army Because by the time you're listening to this There will be a full in-depth shift by shift Breakdown of Jack Rathbone uh, Up on CanucksArmy.com So go check that out For Chris Faber, my name is Dave Quadrelli. A huge thank you once again to our presenting sponsors Zephyr Epic and of course Harmon Dielf of The Athletic for joining us My name is Dave Quadrelli. You've been listening to the Canucks Conversation